media pundits say that Bill O'Reilly's arrival at the network was the critical factor in driving success for Fox. O'Reilly has also been the success factor at a leading New York publishing house. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. This week, the Murdoch Media family put out a contract on its top dawn, but publisher Henry Holt plans to stand by their man. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, has the numbers that back up that call and much more of the week's publishing news. He joins me every Friday on Beyond the Book, and welcome back, Andrew Albanese. Hey there, Chris. So this week, you were attending an all-day conference co-sponsored by Publishers Weekly and the New York University School of Professional Studies, PubTech Connect, it's called and it focused on the digital landscape now facing publishers as well as other media players and, of course, the new cultures of readers and consumers in the digital world. So tell us what you heard. Yeah, that's right. And I, I have to say, first off, congratulations to my colleague Carl Pritzkat and to NYU's Andrea Chambers and to all the help they had. There are too many names for me to list here, uh, but they really pulled off a tremendous program. You know, I know you, Chris, you remember because we've been doing this for a long time, going back to the beginning of Tools of Change. Remember the Tools of Change conference? Conference, how these digital conferences were once so hot, and then digital became a reality for publishers, and they all became less interesting. They became kind of like Groundhog Day. You'd go to these things and hear the same panels from the year before. But I think PubTech Connect may have discovered the formula for a really useful, engaging digital conference for publishers going forward. And the key to that is not to load up the conference program with publishers. Go figure. Uh, at PubTech yesterday, the program included all kinds of executives and innovators from companies like Vice, Vox, MailChimp, Squarespace, Dropbox, Quartz. And of course, there were some people there from the big five publishers and from smaller publishers, as well as uh, traditional newspapers as well, like the New York Times, for example. But the focus was not on how a traditional industry is adapting to digital. It was simply, this is how digital business works today. Here's what we're doing as these companies. And I think that was a really good way to do this. And I think few would disagree at this point that even though print still generates the most revenue for publishing, publishing is a digital business. Uh, and I think that we're going to have to figure out how to cut it in a digital world rather than just adapting our legacy businesses to digital. Well, indeed, I, I am nodding as I listen to you because, as you say, these digital conferences were once happening on every street corner in New York City, uh, and things have changed. And uh, it's great to hear you get excited about one of these conferences. And it looks like you had good reason for that, given some of the uh, the speakers there. And I know one or two of them really uh, uh, were most important for you. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners can actually read about the conference in Monday's issue, and there'll be a story on the Publishers Weekly website as well. But uh, And I won't go over them all here. We'd be here all day. But I think the most interesting session for me, uh, and for many, I'd gather, who were at the event, was the opening session, which featured Sri Srinivasan, who's the chief digital officer for the city of New York, and Kinsey Wilson, who's the editor of Innovation and Strategy at the New York Times. And they talked about the various steps uh, in their innovation, obviously two big institutions the city of New York and the New York Times. And what was fascinating to me is that in terms of the New York Times, I can finally point to something positive that Donald Trump has done, and that's that he's driven people back to good journalism. And luckily for the Times, they had their app and their online presence in a pretty good place to take advantage of uh, the audience that Trump was about to drive to them. Digital is actually surging at the Times. And Wilson said uh, that notably, too, that print has also stabilized. Digital now makes up about a third of the New York Times revenue. That's about $500 million annually. Uh, and Wilson said the goal is to actually ramp that up to about $800 million by 2020. 
But the takeaway for me really was that, you know, back from the early days of digital, where you remember digital teams were like separated from the rest of the organization. In fact, I think the Times digital edition was actually in a different building than the rest of the newspaper. Well, there's been a really major strategic shift, and the company now views itself as a consumer subscription service first. That's a paid content service first, rather than an ad-driven business. And that's a big deal for a newspaper. Now, ads are still important for the Times, but for the key is it's paid content, and it's really working. Now, everything doesn't want to be free online. We've always thought that, but free is a crucial component, and Kinsey Wilson made that clear too. Uh, but users will pay. And it actually makes sense that subscription would work in today's environment because you look at the way the web works today, whether it's Netflix or Spotify or Amazon Prime or all these shopping services or meal kits that have become really popular, you know, whatever we're talking about online, increasingly they're subscription services. That's just the way commerce is going on the web. And notably, that's something that the major book publishers have resisted thus far. Uh, so there's plenty of more to chew on, of course, but, you know, listeners can check out our coverage of the event on the PW site or Monday's issue. And, you know, I'll just say once again, kudos to the organizers for really putting together a fresh new approach to exploring the digital world and digital opportunities uh, that may be there for publishing. In a moment, Andrew Albanese returns with news of a holiday for bookstores that some are calling Christmas in April. This is Chris Keneally for Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at PublishersWeekly.com slash PWRadio. This is Chris Keneally for Beyond the Book. We are catching up on the latest book business news with our regular Friday guest, Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. And Andrew, we started this week's report on the digital side of publishing, but as we've heard quite a lot lately, the analog end of things is holding up its own. Uh, and next week, in fact, National Independent Bookstore Day arrives to reinforce the point. Yeah, that's right. You know, we have a rundown on that event in Monday's issue as well. Uh, National Independent Bookstore Day. It's back for its third year. Uh, it will take place on Saturday, April 29th. This year, I believe we have 458 bookstores that have signed up to participate in 48 states. Uh, for some reason, Hawaii and Arkansas are not represented. I uh, don't know why that is, but maybe I can find out for you. Uh, but that's actually up from 435 stores that took part in 2016. And, you know, the program director, um, who administers this event under the auspices, I think, of the Northern California Independent Booksellers Association, told PW that it's proven so strong that booksellers have, as you note, taken to calling it Christmas in April. Indeed, nearly all of the participating stores last year reported sales were up 200% for that day. So not a bad promotion for the bookstores there. Um, we've spoken a lot on this program about the resurgence in indie bookstores. Uh, that was also a theme I think that was quite prominent this year at the London Book Fair, which uh, you were at with me as well this year. And you know, print books really are hanging on. That's something we've seen now for two years in a row, that they seem to have hit a level where they seem like they're bouncing back and proving to be sustainable. And, you know, we're finally seeing proof of something that I think we've expected we would see all along. And that's that we're never going to live in a print or digital world. 
but a print and digital world. So, you know, for all the innovation that was on display at PubTech Connect, uh, Independent Bookstore Day is a great reminder, too, that we still need that in real life component uh, and that traditional institutions like bookstores and publishers and newspapers, etc., still have important roles to play. Well, uh, one author who's not going to be celebrating uh, is Bill O'Reilly. We learned this week uh, that the cable uh, news anchor is out at Fox News amid a number of sexual harassment charges and the scandal that goes with it, all brought to life by reporting for The New York Times. And it's actually a publishing story, too, because he's also a best-selling, even a mega best-selling author. So tell us about what kind of impact uh, we can expect at Henry Holt now that Riley is no longer at Fox. Yeah, so Bill O'Reilly is, you know, he's been the gold standard in conservative cable TV for like two decades now. Uh, and he's the creator of the, you know, the no spin zone. But as you say, he's uh, just entered the no job zone after it was divulged that he and Fox had actually settled multiple sexual harassment claims. He's out along with Fox's own news head, actually president of the news division, Roger Ailes, who also was bounced on sexual harassment charges. But you're absolutely right. In addition to his TV presence, O'Reilly has been a mainstay of the Henry Holt list for years. Uh, and despite recent controversy, that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, the Macmillan imprint told PW that it has no intention of altering its support. The best-selling author, despite his recent dismissal from Fox News, our listeners, obviously, I'm sure they know that the uh, Bill O'Reilly killing series, I don't know how many he's killed now, but he's killed quite a few people in this series, uh, written with Martin Dugard, has been a consistent bestseller. There's roughly 15.5 million copies in print worldwide. The most recent killing title, I think, was Killing the Rising Sun. And that was the top-selling adult nonfiction book in 2016. Uh, it sold over a million print units. And, of course, O'Reilly, ironically, has a book on values that's out now called Old School, Life in the Sane Lane, written with Bruce Fairstein. So the question I think now is whether Henry Holtz and Bill O'Reilly are going to see a backlash a la the, the Milo Yiannopoulos scandal. Uh, but so far, it looks like no. Old School has sold 67,000 copies in its first week on sale. Um and I think it sold nearly 110,000 copies since its uh, March 28th release. So the revelations of sexual harassment have not seemed to have had an effect on Bill O'Reilly's fans. And frankly, I don't think they're going to. I think his fans will tend to see his ouster as you know, part of a liberal conspiracy or political correctness run amok. Uh, and then it may actually even help sales. But we will see what happens this fall uh, as Holt has an untitled O'Reilly Dugard book. Uh, scheduled for release this September, and Holt says that is proceeding as planned. And finally, Andrew, an update from Capitol Hill on a bill we have spoken about a number of times here on the program, uh, H.R. 1695, the bill that would make the Register of Copyrights a presidential appointee. And when last we looked, it was uh, approved on a committee vote uh, and then got stuck. Now it looks as if the bill could be moving. Yes, and I still am waiting for more details on exactly how that's going to happen. But sources on Capitol Hill told me that in all likelihood, this is absolutely proceeding to a vote on the floor next week when Congress gets back from recess. 
Uh, and if that's true, if it is going to go to a vote, that likely means uh, it has the votes to pass. Uh, as we've seen with recent votes on health care, for example, they're not going to bring a vote to the floor that really isn't going to uh, get ushered through. So what happens next in the Senate with the bill is less clear, but the bill does have some support there. And with so many battles to fight, it's starting to look like this bill is not going to linger. Uh, I'm starting to actually see some signs of white flags on the library side, at least. I think some people are, are looking forward to, you know, what comes next rather than fighting this political battle. Uh, now, just a few things to clean up before we move on. You know, the one voice that we haven't heard in this debate, and I just want to point this out, is the Library of Congress, right? Uh, Carla Hayden uh, and the library people have not really gotten involved with the politics of this. And do people tell me that Carla's probably, she's agnostic about where the Copyright Office ultimately resides, but if it's going to reside in the Library of Congress, she wants oversight, which makes perfect sense to me. So at this point, who knows where the Copyright Office is going to end up. It looks like the H.R. 1695 is going to pass. And then Congress will, of course, have to move on to the really heavy lifting, which is actually figuring out uh, what they're going to do with the Copyright Office long term. So stay tuned for more details on what's happening with that bill next week. All right. Well, whether in digital or analog form, we always enjoy speaking with Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks for joining me on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, on Monday, the annual Publishers Forum opens in Berlin. Host and organizer Rudiger Rieschenbart says that publishing today is a cycle, and Publishers Forum is going full circle from artificial intelligence to virtual reality. In continental Europe, we are in a very weird situation right now. Uh, when you would interview lots of publishers, you could think that we are in a lull where nothing much is happening. E-books have not caught on as massively as in the US or in the UK. No big failures, no big uh, crashes have been seen for quite a while. Even the mergers and acquisitions have a little bit uh, calmed down. So many people think not much is happening. And at the same time, we see... Uh, with virtual reality, with machine learning, with big data analytics, with semantic, uh, that when you bother about really looking into content and into consumers, you really literally are about to reinvent the whole game. And that's uh, what we want to look into. Publishing goes full circle. Next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries RightsDirect and Ixis drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.